because you have promised that your presence and your authority would be always accompanying your word. That your word is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can pierce deep, deep to where we make decisions, deep to where we live, to the place where our motives are being formed. Thank you for this moment, for our opportunity, for my opportunity to depend on you and to hear the word of God. Uh, we bless you for this. We thank you. We thank you that it's, the word is reliable, inerrant, infallible, and that as you, as you, as you are the voice, as you are the authority, uh, you bring about your perfect ends. You have your perfect plan for this moment. And so we rest and rely upon you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm often uh, aware as I prepare for sermons, um, I'm aware that I can't make the, the message a burning reality in your heart. <laughs> I'm always aware of my limitations, and uh, I'm always sort of overwhelmed by that sense even before I preach. I recognize I can speak, and I can fill the room with air for 30 minutes. I can probably do that. But real life change is um, completely out of my ability. And so I pray for that. And you pray, even during the sermon, that God will use these words for his purposes. I have been uh, uh, conscious of uh, something as I was preparing today's message. Um, at verse 11, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, verse 11 might be something to easily overlook. Uh, if you're familiar with the epistles, it's sort of customary for Paul's introductions to include uh, prayer and pray for us, or he's praying for the Ephesians or the Thessalonians, right? It's a nice thing we see in scripture. And I, I was noticing this, that it, I might just gloss over it. Let's get on with the heart of the message, right? Verse 11 is one of those texts that you might just, in your own private reading of the Bible, just sort of like read over, and it just kind of, uh, just uh, not a lot of great insights into prayer there. Um, and it might be something you might just gloss over. And I, I noticed that in myself. I noticed that in myself as I was looking at this. I thought, should I, should I preach on prayer? Uh, well... I thought affliction was important to pre preach on. That was a topic previously here in chapter 1. And so I thought, hmm, I think prayer should be the message today. But then I thought to myself, I thought, well, what's, what's actually going on in Paul that he would bring up the subject of prayer? I just begin to think this up, think, think about this a bit. So, he, again, he doesn't give a lot of insights into prayer itself. Look at verse 11. You can just look at it there. It's a call to prayer and that um, people would be blessed to pray. And I, kind of thought, I thought, well, it's not a lot of insights into prayer. What's going on here? What's going on here? And the more I thought about it, the more I became convinced that verse 11 is rising out rising out of a heart that's been renewed. A heart that's been renewed. What this means is that Paul has just shared a great deal about his struggles, 
his own depression, his own despondency, his own despair of life itself. He's shared this with people who have made it clear they really don't love him that well, at least. And then what he begins to say, but you, you can pray for us. And he begins to speak about their engagement in prayer for, for him. And I thought about this is coming from a heart that is experiencing renewal. Think about it. If someone were to come up to you and in an excited, honest way were to say, will you pray for this? Or will you join me in prayer for? And they come with a heart excited desiring you to join in with prayer. What does that say about that person? It might be that they're doubtful, they're anxious, it might be. It also might be that they are expressing faith, that prayer matters. I want you to join in with requesting of God on behalf of God for my friend or whatever the, whatever the event is. I'm going to suggest to you that Paul has been putting on already in this epistle the transformation of his life. Even though he's many decades into the Christian life, he is expressing to the Corinthians he has discovered new power in the gospel Personal transformation is underway, and he is sincerely believing that prayer matters. It's interesting. You can watch this. Watch Paul fight against a worldview, the worldview of despair, coming to false conclusions about the world. There is no purpose. There's no reason for these efforts. I am just a victim of... Uh, of fate or difficulties or afflictions. He's been fighting against this wrong interpretation of life. And he, it's like as if he bolts, bolts out of that, that emotional darkness and he begins to, to tell the Corinthians about resurrection life and how we learn to not trust in ourselves but in the God who raises the dead. And then he moves to this call in verse 11 you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many that's how he concludes this introduction let me suggest to you a couple of things renewed hearts desire to pray renewed hearts desire to pray it's been said there's uh, nothing uh, that will produce guilt more quickly uh, in a a fellow believer than asking about their prayer life. Renewed hearts desire to pray. And Paul is calling out to the Corinthians unashamedly saying, join me, join us as traveling companions, join us in what God has ordained as a means of blessing. 
join us. And I am going to unashamedly use the word, not renewal, but I believe this word is appropriate. I'm going to use the word revival. I love J.I. Packer and his thoughts on revival. If you've ever read J.I. Packer, who is, is he still with us? He is a very old man now. I believe he is still with us. He is a remarkable individual. And J.I. Packer writes this about revival. He says this. Revival is God touching minds and hearts in an arresting, devastating, exalting way. To draw them to himself through working from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And when I read that, I said, that's what is happening in Paul he has looked outwardly. He's seen the affliction. He has let it affect him for a time, despaired of life. But something has happened, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. There is a power that has gripped his heart. And when I read that, I went, that is what this text is talking about. Packer goes on to say, it is God accelerating I love that word. Accelerating, intensifying, and extending the work of grace that goes on in every Christian's life, but it is sometimes overshadowed and somewhat smothered by the impact of other forces, like real life, people. It is the, I'm going on with Packer here. It is the near presence of God giving new power to the gospel of sin and grace. New power. That's it. New power. It is the Holy Spirit sensitizing souls. That's it. What's Paul endeavoring to do with the Corinthians? He has opened his heart, the afflictions, despairing of life. Oh, God taught us not to rely upon ourselves. And now he's endeavoring through his written letter to the Corinthians to sensitize their souls. You have a role in this. You have a duty to join us in a participation of prayer. A sensitizing of souls to divine realities is going on with Packer. And so generating deep level responses that God, excuse me, deep level responses to God in the form of faith and repentance. Praise and prayer. Do you know that prayer is a sign of renewal or revival? Packer goes on, love and joy. Did you know that love is a, a sign of renewal and revival? Works of benevolence, kindness to strangers, mercy in the community, and service and initiatives of outreach and sharing. J.I. Packer, the book, The Glory of God and the Reviving of Religion. Renewed hearts desire to pray. And so, 
now I want to ask you, what would happen if you don't feel like praying? What would you say to God? Well, when you think about your prayer life, you don't feel very righteous. You don't feel like you've accomplished much. You don't feel like you've participated very, very often. What would, you, what would you say to yourself? Do you know you can say honestly to God, move my slow heart? You could say honestly to God, God, move my heart to pray for you. Cause the delight in my heart to increase, for it is not there, and I will wait upon you for the delight to arrive. God can receive you in any condition. He can handle your emotions. He, can, he will not reject you because of your feelings. And so you can cry out, O oh God, renew my heart, for I don't even desire to pray. But correct me, Lord. Teach me. Cause me to repent, for I have been trusting in myself, my ability to think through my life, to control my life. On the sermon page, I've included some definitions of prayer one from the New City Catechism, which was written in 2012. That's a good attempt at sort of modernizing a catechism. Some thought it wasn't all that necessary. Of course, we have the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which says that we are to pray for all things agreeable to his will. Well, do you, is it God's will that you'd be revived and find joy in him? Yes. You can pray that confidently. Oh, Lord, I am emotionally flat. And I come before you asking that you would revive me in spirit and in soul. Is that not his will? Yes, yes it is. Renewed hearts desire to pray. Ray Ortland Jr., who I've been reading recently, pastor in Tennessee, he says that of revival, revival. He says this, he says, no church, no community can experience these heavenly powers without earthly upheaval. You know, things, when renewal comes into the heart, uh, things change. There's some upheaval. Moreover, this is a Ray Ortland again, it is the pastor's job to pray for and preach toward biblical revival. Therefore, a faithful pastor cannot do his job without accepting that the, the gospel he preaches will shake things up. So not only do renewed hearts desire to pray, they also, they also desire to give thanks. That's what Paul's asking the Corinthians to do, to give thanks. Verse 11, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Giving thanks is a participation in the story that God is writing. Giving thanks for difficult things, for even affliction, hardship, is a kind of wisdom. Some of you parents here, you know. Some of you older parents, you know. You know that 
difficulties for your children are actually important. You don't wish them for your children, but you know your children are going to experience difficulties. And then with wisdom, you're going to reflect on it and perhaps even say, God, thank you for the trial and the difficulty of this because my child has learned to rely on you. My child has turned away from their pride. My child has understood who runs the world. My child has understood that they cannot just by their sheer will and demands control things and they need you. And how did they come to this conclusion? Through something difficult. Parents, how about you? We're panicky. We're controlling. And now we think about our lives and we realize, you know what? Some of those difficulties were actually the most important thing I've ever gone through. Do you know how dissatisfied people who have extraordinary wealth are? Do you know people who can decide and buy right away a check and solve their problems? Do you know how many people are dissatisfied with life? How many accomplished musicians playing for stadiums know something is going on inside them where this is not going to work? And it's interesting is they remember the days of struggle. They remember the days where they didn't have a record contract. And they remember those days when they felt alive because of the difficulties. And now life is so comfortable for them. They've lost connection. Of course, we as believers understand that the giving of thanks is a participation. Listen to that. The, the giving of thanks is a participation in God's providence. God, you are masterful. God, you are good. God, I am here living by faith, and I know your goodness is at work, even though this is difficult and hard. Renewal gives thanks. Renewal also, and finally, renewal delights in the increase of God's glory. Renewal delights in the increase of God's glory. Look at the last little phrase there in verse 11. So that, after the, the comma, so that many will give thanks on our behalf, that is an increased participation in glory, will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There is an expansiveness to this. Think about this. The whole church is praying. Something different about that, isn't it? Something different about that than just you praying privately, quietly, which is beautiful. The whole church is praying. The, the whole community, all the, the, all the churches on Oahu are praying. Imagine that. Wow, what's, what's up? What's going on? We're all invested in, in this. We're all seeking God's will in this. 
pray. Prayer represents the renewed heart delighting in the increase of God's glory. Now, uh, Paul could have been dwelling on self-pity. He could have been focused on many other things about his comfort. Doesn't do that. He just wants people to be blessed by participating in prayer. The blessing is really found in being sustained in difficulty. Prayer is really trust put into words. Life is being sustained when it is impossible. There is a supernatural intervention by God, and the more more people who understand this, the more they will be blessed. Who is to call out for this? The Christian. Renewed Christians delight in the increase of God's glory. And how is God glorified in the Christian, particularly the Christian leader in this context? God God is glorified by sustaining them in difficulty. And what does a Christian leader do? Will they bless others by encouragement, by preaching, by correction, by direction? And then what is the call upon the believer who receives this? You who are blessed, seek a blessing for those who have blessed you. Paul's affliction is for the Corinthians. Renewal and revival. Renewal and revival. Would you pray for that in your own heart? Would you pray for that in our church and in all the gospel teaching churches of Oahu and these islands? Pray. Pray for an experience of genuine, sustaining renewal. I ask that you would pray for God's presence to be known to those who are afflicted. I pray that you and me would be responsive to God's word. That God's word would not have a superficial impact And that it searches the hearers and the readers to the depth of their being. Pray that the conscience will become tender and a profound humbling will take place. Pray that there will be a renewal and revival of community. That's what verse 11 is about. A love and generosity, a unity and joy. And then faithfulness and testimony that we would proclaim by word and deed the power of our new life, that souls are one, and that we have a community conscience informed by the gospel. Well, these are heavenly powers moving, I think, first as we see in Paul, and now we see in the text. And hopefully we see in our own lives these heavenly powers that bring about this earthly upheaval. We pray for that. Let's pray together. Lord, draw near to us in awesome holiness, mercy, and might. Thank you for your 
ability to revive us. Father, that we are looking at this text and we see what arises out of the ashes of despair is, is life. And a man who's calling out to a church, pray for us, participate in, in this renewal of the heart. Thank you, Father, for the, the church, that you love your church, that you give grace to your church, and the Spirit is poured out abundantly upon your church. Father, we turn in repentance. We turn, Lord, acknowledging we're flat. We're confident. We're prideful. We come thanking you for your faithfulness today to meet with your people. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.